Happy Mother's Day. Yay. See, I said that the first hour, and then everybody just was like silent. Like, I know it's not like saying, like, good morning, and everybody responds, good morning, right? But, like, to say Happy Mother's Day, and just people just like, I guess it is Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day, yeah. Woohoo! All right. Um, we are uh, in a series uh, on uh, studying the Gospel of Luke. And so if you would turn with me to Luke chapter 8, we're going to, uh, to begin with, look at just three verses, 19 through 21. And there are three verses which uh, you may not uh, really, um, really assume are connected to Mother's Day. Um, in fact, uh, in light of Mother's Day, they actually might be very difficult to hear. Okay, so uh, this is actually the fourth difficult saying of Jesus in uh, Luke chapter 8, and we're going to go through all of them, but I'm going to begin with this one, and then we'll, we'll come back to, to it at the end. So Luke chapter 8, um, beginning in verse 19. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. So uh, for you moms in the room, how does that land? Uh, You know, say you're Mary and you've come to see Jesus and you're waiting outside and somebody comes to you and says, I told him that you were here, but he said that his mother are people who uh, listen to the word of God and obey it. Uh, Would you feel a little unkind, a little unfair, a little unjust, a little unloving, Right? And see, on the surface, uh, this, this difficult thing that Jesus says, that's what it presents. It's, it presents something un, unjust and, un, and unloving. So we're going to dive into that a little bit um, more this morning. But as I said, this is the fourth of, of, of things that Jesus says that is actually hard to hear. Difficult th- statements that Jesus makes. And they're difficult not because they're hard to understand once explained. They're difficult because they do present a picture of God being unloving, unkind, unjust, unfair. Right, um, and and so uh, we, we can come across these verses, and we could be offended by them. Uh, so we're going to dive into those uh, this morning. But um, if you'll remember, uh, Luke is is written to the lover of God, Theophilus, and hopefully that's you and I this morning. What what uh, God has to say through to us through through Luke. If you are a lover of God, He wants us to know His Son, and we know Him by what He's said. We embrace the message that he's given to us and that, that finds its root in us and it changes us. If I could um, sort of boil this down, this passage of scripture down uh, in Luke 8, the thesis would be simply this. The lover of God with faith receives the words of God, resulting in greater faith that's demonstrated by action. So we're gonna work through that this morning. Um, the way that Luke 8 is, is uh, laid out, it sort of answers this question, how do you listen to God? And what, what should your response be as you listen to God? If you've ever asked the question, how do I hear God? This chapter's for you. And, uh, and Luke, he sort of lays this out in a way, you could look at this like a, it's a course taught by Professor Jesus on how to listen to God. And the course begins with like, this large group lecture that Jesus gives, 
And then it continues into sort of a small group discussion format, and then it continues into a practicum, a practical application of what Jesus has taught. And so uh, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to look at the, the large group lecture, this parable that Jesus teaches. We're going to look at a small group discussion that follows that. We're going to look at this interruption uh, that we see with, with Mary and, and Jesus' brothers. And next week, we're going to look at the practical part. We're going to look at the practicum, verses 22 through the rest of the chapter, and we're going to see how Jesus, his word is going to have an effect. His words are going to, um, they're going to speak to nature and change nature. His words are going to be spoken into the spiritual realm and cause it to change. His words are going to be spoken into sickness and even death, and there will be a result from the power of his words, right? His words have power, and they change things, and hopefully you'll see this morning that his words have power for you and change, change you. And so we're going to look at those, those things this morning. I want to stop and pray, and I want you to pray with me this morning. I want to specifically ask you to pray with me for four things. Would you pray, first of all, that your heart would be receptive to what God would have to say to you? Would you pray for your own heart's receptivity to it? Secondly, would you pray for desire? to hear God. Oftentimes we go through life and we don't actually want to hear from God. We think we've already known what God has said. We go through life and maybe even on a daily basis, we even open up his word and we read it without actually asking for him to speak. Would you pray for this desire to to, to want to hear from him? Uh, Thirdly, would you pray for faith upon which God can build more faith that results in action? Lastly, will you pray for those who this morning is a difficult day? Who for mothers, today is is a reminder of grief. Maybe for some, this is the the first day or the first Mother's Day without their mom. Uh, For some, uh, this is a reminder of, of the loss of a child or the loss of the ability to have a child. So would you pray for them that God would hear or God would speak to them and they would hear it? and that they would leave here today changed by what he has to say. So let's go to God in prayer for those things, would you? Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that, uh, that you would affect my own heart, that you would make my own heart receptive to what you have to say, that, uh, that you've communicated uh, to us, and those words that you've communicated, they're not for others, Mainly or simply, they're also for me, and I pray that you'd communicate to me. I pray that you would increase my desire to hear from you. I pray that you would forgive me for the times when I go through my day uh, thinking that I don't need your words because I got my own. I pray that you would change my heart, change my desires. I pray that you would give me a greater faith that influences my own life, but it overflows into the lives of the people around me. And lastly, Father, I pray for those who might be here this morning uh, that that are hurt, that are grieving um, around this issue of what it means to be a mom or to lose a mom. Uh, I pray that you, uh, who knows what grief looks like and what it is, that you would speak to them words of comfort today and words of hope. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.
All right, so we're going to dive into uh, this, this course on what it means to listen to Jesus and listen to God and what it means to be changed by that. And so it begins with a lecture. Uh, so if you will, uh, look at Luke uh, chapter 8, beginning in verse 4. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it, <clears throat> and some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him here. And so uh, the lecture portion of this has to do with this agricultural metaphor that Jesus uses. This agricultural picture of a farmer who uh, is planting his field. He doesn't use uh, machines to plant. He plants things by hand. He has a big bag and he reaches into the bag. He grabs a handful of seeds and he casts those seeds out to plant this crop. And we know that some of those seeds fall in hard places, some fall in rocky places, some fall in, in thorny or thistly places, and some fall on good soil. And Jesus does not explain any of this. We, we can know that Jesus has probably got a deeper meaning behind this, that this farmer represents somebody, these seeds represent something, this ground represents something, but Jesus does not explain it to the people. And he says at the very end of this, the first of the difficult sayings of Luke chapter eight, and the saying is, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What does that mean? Jesus understood that the people that came to him oftentimes didn't come to hear him. The people that came to him oftentimes came to see the show. Right, that here's this guy who miraculously is uh, opening the eyes of the blind and opening the ears of the deaf. He's healing skin diseases. He's casting out demons. He's even raising people from the dead. Like all sorts of cool, crazy stuff nobody has ever seen before is happening through Jesus. And so people are coming to see the show but not necessarily to hear the message. Not necessarily to hear the message. As, as, as Anthony uh, totally ruined for me earlier, uh, what have you come here for this morning? What, why have we gathered? Like, what do we expect to find this morning? I mean, it, it's good to come together and to see people we haven't seen all week and, and to, to fellowship with one another. It's good to sing praises. And, 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 and did, did maybe you come this morning to, to have an emotional response to, to the worship? Or, or, or what is it? What, did it? what did we come here for this morning? Did we come to hear from God? Or did we come for a show? And you think about your daily life, and God has gone to great lengths in order to give you his word in written form. When you think about the, the ease that you and I have in, in, in possessing the word of God in written form, and yet, I mean, it took centuries, and it took uh, lots of authors, and it took lo lots of time to form. Like, God went through, through great lengths in order to communicate to you and I. 
And do we actually take time to listen? Do we sit down? Do we open it up? And when we do open it up, where are we expecting to find? Are we expecting to, to grow in our intellectual prowess so we can brag about what, what we know in Scripture? Do, do, we, do we open it up in order to check off a box and say, I read my Bible today. I'm a good Christian. So I went to Sunday or church on Sunday, so that makes me a good Christian. Like, like is it just about jumping through hoops? Or do we actually believe we can hear from God and want to? Do we want to? This is what Jesus is talking about. Hear, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. The, the person who, who is gonna come to Jesus for the show will probably walk away satisfied. They'll get to see cool, miraculous stuff, but they won't walk away changed. But the person who comes to Jesus to hear will walk away changed. He who has an ear to hear. This is the, the first hard saying of Jesus. The lover of God with faith receives the words of God resulting in greater faith that's demonstrated <clears throat> by action. So the lecture's over. Right, people go their way and they actually never hear an explanation of the parable of the sower. Uh, the large group lecture is over, and Jesus now turns to his disciples who are left, and now the small group discussion begins. Look at verse 9 with me. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, <clears throat> To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. That doesn't seem fair. Here Jesus is, 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 seems to be saying that God is withholding vital information from people who need it. He's actually quoting Isaiah uh, 6, 9, and 10, where it says, Go and say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Does that sound unjust? Unfair? Unloving? Why would God, who knows that his words have the power to heal and save people, why would he withhold those words from being understood by people. Why would it do that? Is it an act of injustice? Well, on the contrary, it's actually an act of grace. You see, once you know the truth, you become liable to the truth. And if God, the truth giver, has given you his truth and you don't act upon that truth, you are now liable to him. Let me use uh, uh, an analogy from, from, from recent culture, uh, recent history. Um, not too long ago in our culture, medical professionals endorsed smoking cigarettes. In fact, uh, doctors actually uh, were spokespersons for the tobacco companies, right? Um, there was a time in our country where uh, rations for soldiers and sailors actually came with cigarettes and matches. Now, we look at that, we, we say, that's ridiculous, right? Because we know. 
We know that those individuals who were told by doctors that, uh, that you know, the tobacco has this great new vitamin in it or whatever, and they, they, they smoked uh, the whole lives only to end up with emphysema or cancer, they go to the doctors and they're able to find medical help where, when it's treatable, and if they passed away because of it, their uh, survivors were given death benefits, right? They were insured, in other words. Why? Because they weren't liable for knowing what it could happen to them. We are not ignorant, right? We know uh, that, that the tobacco industry, they can no longer advertise anymore, and, and they have to put warnings on everything that they make, right? Like, if you don't know that cigarette smoking causes cancer, emphysema, or death, then you probably don't even have access to cigarettes, and you don't even need to worry about it. But Everything is labeled. In fact, um, some cigarette labels like from other countries have like skulls and crossbones and stuff on them. Like you can't be ignorant to what this thing can do to you, right? So you go to fill out an application for, uh, for health benefits or for, for um, medical care or, or in medical insurance. One of the questions you're asked is, do you smoke, right? Um, if you go to fill out a, an application for life insurance, one of the, the questions you're asked is, is do you smoke? Right? Because if you choose to smoke, you are engaging in something you know will hurt you. You're now liable for that. You're liable, not the medical insurance companies. You're liable. See, God in his grace knows that his message for some people will not be received and acted upon. And therefore, they'll be liable to him. And so God in his grace and patience is affording people time. Second Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God it, it doesn't withhold the, the word from people because he doesn't want them to repent and be saved. He's withholding it from people who won't act on it, and he's giving them grace and patience. But you need to know that that patience doesn't last forever. Jesus then begins to explain the parables. If you look at verse 11 with me. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So uh, the, this is the soil portion of the thing. The, the soil part of the parable is about people's hearts and the different kind of hearts that can receive or hear what God has to say. And, and one of these hearts is, is packed solid. It has been trampled underfoot so much that it has become too dense to allow to see, to, to penetrate in, into it. So the word of God is, is heard by this person, but it bounces right off of their hearts. This notion that God has created them for, for this relationship with him, the, the idea that, that they've rebelled against this God, that the idea that they've sinned against him and that because of this, they're God's enemy, that this idea that, that they need to be saved, that they need a savior and that Jesus has died for them, like the, the whole gospel truth, this word of God comes to them and it bounces right off of them because it's unbelievable to them. It can't penetrate. 
This is the definition of the hardness of heart, which many people have towards the gospel. And so the devil swoops in and snatches it away. I want to ask you another question as we continue. Has the world's truth compacted the surface of your heart to prevent you from hearing God's truth? He continues, verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. So there's another kind of soil, another kind of heart. Uh, Rocky ground is, is known for the fact that it can't hold moisture. It rains, water goes straight through it, it can't hold on to that moisture, and so any plant that begins to live in rocky soil won't survive because when the sun comes out and it's in need of water, it won't be able to go deep enough to find it, and so it wilts and it dies. This is a picture of someone who does believe in what they hear, especially when it comes to the colorful, beautiful, wonderful things of Jesus and his love for you. The person who hears God is love, and they say, yes, I want a God of love, and I need a God of love, and I will embrace a God of love. But when trials come, when life gets difficult, they're saying to themselves, where is this God of love? Where is this God of provision? Where is this God of protection? Why am I going through difficult trials and difficult circumstances? You see, they believe that God is love, but they don't believe that God is sovereign even over the difficult things in life. So they will, and they die. Next question, how have you found yourself wanting God for his goodness but rejecting God's authority or his sovereignty? Continue on, verse 14 now. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by cares and riches of life, and their fruit does not mature. It's a picture of a heart that has competition. It has competition. There's this path of obedience to God that this person is following, but all of a sudden, the path in the woods diverges, and now there's another option. Follow God in obedience or follow your flesh and its desires. See, God has has made you to to obey him, but but he's made life to be lived in such a way. Right? He's he's made you to believe that that you should love your enemy, that though somebody um, maybe hurts you or offends you, that your response to them was to be, to to respond to them like Jesus responded to you, to love your enemy. But somebody comes along and hurts me, and my flesh says, get revenge. There's another way to go. See, there's competition in my heart over this issue. God tells us that that humanity is is meant to bear the image of God, and because it does, it's valuable, and and it's sacred because it points to God. And yet, we oftentimes will look at other human beings, and we'll try to use them for what we can get out of them, and we won't value the life that is in them. We'll look at marriages. We'll look at, at familial relationships, and God has given them and ordained them for a purpose, and yet we'll try to, to escape them and walk away from them because our flesh wants to get out from underneath their responsibility and go sign something else that makes us happier. You see, there's, there's competition within us. Our flesh can choose to go another way. Obey the flesh or obey God. So let me ask you, do you see before you the choice of your desire versus the way of obedience? And which do you choose? You see, this is a choice we encounter 
every day and often several times a day, isn't it? Which do we choose? It's interesting, um, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, he says this, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, before Jesus and before his gospel and before what he has done for us changes everything for us, we were stuck in one of the first three soils. We were stuck. You see, there are competing things for, for our heart's receptivity. Paul talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil here, right? Here's the world. The world is this rocky ground, which makes it, it difficult for you to go deep in faith because it presents you with other alternatives. And when God isn't good, it gives you other ideas about where you can turn for something good. We see the devil here in, in the very first path as it swoops in and, and, and takes the, the, the seed of the gospel away from the hard-hearted person. We see the flesh involved in the thorns and the thistles, this competing idea. You see, there are things that, that, that you could turn to other than God for the truth. There's competition for your heart's receptivity. I don't know if you noticed this, but when, when Jesus was, was being um, tempted in the wilderness by Satan, those are the three things that he faced. Satan's de desire to get him to worship him, right? The world's desire to, to, to promote self-glorification. Jesus could have thrown himself off the temple and angels rescued him and everybody say, wow, look at that, and he could be glorified by the world. There's a big temptation there. Or to serve his fleshly desires when he was hungry, to turn bread or rocks into bread the world the flesh and the devil like you understand like there's there's enemies that are competing for your heart's receptivity to the gospel to hearing what god has said and and allowing it to to make a difference and and the beautiful thing is is jesus didn't succumb to those temptations and he becomes this example of this fourth type of soil look at verse 15 as for that in the good soil they are those who hearing the word Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Two things there. The, the word of God comes to them and they receive it and they hold on to it. The truth of who God is, the truth of what he's done, the truth of who that changes me into and how I get to live, I hold on to this truth. But more than just holding on to it, it produces in me something and I bear fruit. You see, uh, the, the, the kernel of wheat that goes into the ground that becomes a plant produces more kernels of wheat that the sower can then harvest and plant elsewhere. It's a picture of multiplication. It's this idea that the word of God, it goes into you and you receive it, but, but it doesn't just stay in you. Like, we, we, we are not reservoirs of God's, God's worth or God's words. Like God's word isn't supposed to end up in your heart and never be let out. Like it's supposed to make a difference and an impact and change you in such a way that it comes gushing out of your life. This is the picture of what we see here. You receive the word. You hold on to it. But it produces. Has the truth of God planted in you become obedience which leads to others having the truth of God planted in them? How have you seen that? You see, the lover of God with faith receives the words of God resulting in greater faith. 
It's demonstrated by action. So Jesus then begins uh, to expound on, on this, this parable, uh, expound on this, this idea of what it looks like to listen to him and be changed uh, by him. Look at verses 16 through 18 with me. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. And so Jesus switches metaphors on us, goes from this this metaphor of of a seed and a sower to this picture of a light. You're not the plant in this one. You're the light in this one. If you've received what God has said, if you've embraced that, then you become a light to the people around you. Like the light that you've received is meant to help other people see. And I think for us as as Christians, so oftentimes we try to hide the light. And we do that by entering into our Christian bubbles and our Christian circles because we know the world out there is offended by Jesus. And we want to to avoid hardship. And so we want to hide the light of, of God in us. But we weren't meant to do that. We were meant to shine so that other people can see. So that other people can see. Then Jesus says that, uh, that, that what is hidden will not remain hidden. Like everything will be brought to light. Everything will be revealed. I said a little while ago that, that God in his grace and patience withholds his words so that, so that people won't be liable when they don't follow them. That patience doesn't last forever. And at some point, all of God's truth will be revealed. Everything will be brought to light. We talked about this last last week, that Jesus in the Old Testament is is pictured as this rock. And and you can encounter Jesus as this rock that is the rock of your salvation. He's the rock of your your, your fortress. He's, He's your stronghold. Or Jesus is your stumbling rock, which you trip and fall over and break. But either way, you cannot avoid Jesus, and you can't avoid the truth being revealed. When the truth is revealed, everyone will bow the knee to that truth and to the revealer of it. Everything will be brought to light. But then we see this this third difficult statement where Jesus says, even from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Why would God take what little faith a person has away from them? Why would he do that? Um, maybe a, a way of illustrating this is you ever heard this statement, you gotta have money to make money? Right? Hopefully. If, if you've ever been broke, you know that statement. You gotta have money to make money. So um, let's say a destitute person has been given a job uh, interview. They don't have anything to wear. And what are they saying? Like, if I don't have the money to buy a suit, I can't go and get the job that'll help me buy more suits. Got to have money to make money. If you're going to start that business, like you have to have seed money. Like how can, you, how can you start a business that will end up being profitable that makes more if you don't have something to start with? If you don't have the money to start with, what do you do? You borrow it. 
If you don't have the suit to go to the interview with, you go to your friend and you borrow it. Can you borrow from God? Can the grace that's required to begin be given? You see, that's, that's the truth of grace. That, that fertile soil that we see in that parable, that fertile soil in and of itself is a gift of God and his grace. If you have had the ability to embrace the truth of who God is and internalize that and allow that to grow out of you, you need to understand that that has actually come from God himself as an act of grace. And so you'd be here this morning and you might say, I, I don't believe that God is this God who I owe my allegiance to. I don't believe I've sinned against him. I don't believe I need a savior. I don't believe in, in, in any of this, this stuff. Let me ask you this. Do you have enough to say, I want to know the truth? I don't believe that this is the truth, but I want to know the truth. You think God can give you that? A place to begin. Enough faith that he can build on and produce out of. You might be here this morning and you'd say, I don't have enough of that, but I want to. And that's okay. It's a place to begin. So after this small uh, group discussion, Jesus is interrupted. Jesus' mother and his brothers show up on the doorstep and, uh, and read with me one more time. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Luke 8, 19 through 21. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and, and do it. This is one of those difficult sayings of Jesus, and it seems unfair and unjust, unloving, unkind, but is it? It is it. Um, when we read scripture, when you go to hear from God, we need to be careful we don't take things out of context. So if you never read the Gospel of Luke before, you never read it, and you opened up your Bible and you landed on this verse, you would walk away thinking, God, wow, Jesus really didn't like his mom. What a jerk. But it's in, and it's in a context, and the context is Jesus is teaching people to listen to God and obey. That's the context. His, his, his mom and, and his brothers show up on his doorstep, interrupt what he's saying, and he uses this as a teaching moment to say, you know who's in my family? People who listen and obey God. This isn't about demeaning family. So to put it in, into context, and what does the Bible have to say about family? Right? We, we know God instituted family. He cares about it. We know that, that he said in, in one of the Ten Commandments, honor your father and your mother. Jesus, in fact, he, he gets into a conflict with some religious leaders over that. These are the religious leaders who have taken their money and instead of taking care of their elderly parents, they've actually spent that on, on religious activity to help them grow in the esteem of other religious people. And Jesus says, you're not obeying this commandment. Uh, the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Because it's a picture of somebody who, who, who does, does not care about the family that God has provided for them. And in God's eyes, that is not okay. And I think most poignantly is what Jesus said on the cross. He's dying. 
He sees his mother standing there. He sees another disciple there, and he entrusts the care of his mom to this other disciple. I mean, that's what he's thinking about as he's dying. Do you think Jesus loves his mom? So that's not what he's saying. So we have to be careful about not taking things out of, out of Scripture. But, but if you do, then, yeah, it seems, it seems harsh and unkind and unloving and unjust. But it's not what Jesus does. Jesus is talking about people who hear the word of God and obey it. Obey it. Now, I, um, I want to say a, a word to some of you uh, to whom Mother's Day is a hard thing here. Um, I, I, I can't empathize. The reality is, um, my wife and I, we've been down this journey. She walked through it. I felt bad and felt sorry, but I couldn't understand what she was going through. But I, I want you to know that, that Jesus does understand. So if you're here this morning and you're grieving over this, this day, I'm, in fact, uh, maybe you're, even, you're listening online because you couldn't show up here today. Because sometimes coming to church on Mother's Day is just painful. And I just want to remind you to listen to the word of God and what he has to say over you and receive the comforting words he has for you and live out of that. Right? The lover of God with faith receives the words of God resulting in greater faith that demonstrates, it's demonstrated by action. But what if you're not a lover of God? Let's be honest. Maybe you came here this morning because you love your mom and this is where she wants you to be. But you didn't come here to hear from God. In fact, you, you may not even believe any of this stuff. You're not a, a lover of God. Right? I have a, a friend who um, we, uh, we began in ministry about the same time. In fact, there was a, a time when we almost um, were, were part of the same uh, ministry, but God had us on, on different roads, and he went one way, and I, I went another, and uh, we both encountered um, pain. We both, both encountered uh, difficult times in, in life, um, yet his reaction to that pain and his, his, that struggle uh, was to deconstruct his faith. It was to, to take what he believed and begin to tear it apart. And to say that these are things that God has said and I don't like them, so they're not true. And here's the things that God has said that I do like and so I'm gonna hold on to them. And what he's essentially done is remade a new faith and recreated God in his own image. But all of this happened out of an embittered heart. He's the, the, the example of, of that, that rocky soil. And it's out of bitterness where, where he would look at the difficult sayings of Luke chapter 8 and he would say, you see, this God you believe in is not just and he's not kind and he's not fair and he's not a God of love. And you can't believe any of this. But, but the thing is, is that comes from a source of bitterness. And the reality is, is you might be here today and you would say, I'm not a lover of God. And let me ask you this question. Is it because it's not true or because you don't want it to be true? This gospel message, you haven't embraced it. You haven't internalized it. You haven't accepted it. You haven't held on to it. You haven't allowed it to change your life. Not because it's not true, but because you don't want it to be true. And do you have the courage to probe your own heart and to see? Now, maybe you're here and, and you are a lover of God and, and you have received his word. 
You've, you've received it and you've held on to it. Let me ask this. Has it made a difference in your life? Has it actually changed you? Over the course of time, has it sanctified you? Has it, has it changed your will? Has it changed your desires? Has it changed the things that you go after and you value and you, you put your hope and your trust in? Has it actually changed you? And has it changed you to the point where it's begun to change other people around you? See, that's the point. We're not just meant to hear the words of God. We're meant to obey them. We're not just meant to talk about what God says in here. We're meant to live them out there. We're, we're not just meant to, to intellectually have an assent of what God's word says, but we're to, to proclaim it and allow it to change the world around us. We, we need to know the truths of God so that we can know the difference between what's a lie and what's not. We need to know the truths of God so that we can remind our friends and, and the people that we love of what is true. We need to, to, to know the word of God, but we can't just stop with knowing. We have to, to act on it. We have to obey it. Obey it. I'm going to wrap up our time this morning by turning our attention to the tank behind me. We'll talk about baptism for a minute. Um, as Christians, there are, there are two things that uh, we believe Jesus told us to practice. Uh, one is communion, um, where we remind ourselves on a regular basis of the, the body of, of, of Jesus, our Lord, given for us, of the blood poured out that makes this, this new relationship with God possible. And so we take, partake of communion on, often. However, baptism is something that we as Christians do just one time. Just one time. And baptism is this outward symbol of what's going on inside of our hearts. If you've heard the gospel and you've embraced it, then you find out Right? The word of God became flesh. Jesus is the communication of God to you. And receiving the word of God means receiving Jesus. So you've received Jesus. And guess what? In Jesus' death, your sins died. And in Jesus' burial, your sins were buried. That's what going into the water symbolizes. And coming out of that water is a picture of resurrection. It's a picture of new life that you have because of Jesus. Right? It's an outward sign of something that's happened to you on the inside, something that you believe in, something that you proclaim to the people around you. It is a sermon being told with an action. It proclaims the truth of who God is, but it only happens one time for the believer. Now, I know that um, for some... Baptism happened to them at, uh, at an early age. They didn't actually have a choice in the matter. Maybe they came from a tradition where people baptized their, their infants. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's horrible. I mean, you, when you consider parents loving their children enough that they want them to follow Jesus, I don't think it's the biblical picture of what we're supposed to do. But I think it's, it's not a bad thing. But, but here's the, the, the thing is, is for, for you, if that was you, you didn't have a choice in, in the matter. It wasn't your proclamation of faith. It was your parents' proclamation of faith. And so for you, you could choose to follow Jesus in obedience and be baptized by your choice. All right? So baptism is, is not a means of salvation. Uh, going into that water doesn't make Jesus love you any more than he already does. It is simply an act of obedience. Jesus was baptized, not because he needed to be, but because he wanted to fulfill all righteousness. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, don't presume that 
you can't do something that he did. He gave it to you as an example to follow. We are to be baptized. He tells us in the Great Commission, go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, so this, this, this picture of, of you going and making disciples and baptizing them, why would you baptize somebody if you've never been baptized? Right? So it, it's a picture of, of obedience. When we look at the New Testament, we actually see that, that baptism is actually the first act of obedience. Generally, when somebody places faith in God for the first time, the first thing that they do as an act of obedience is get baptized. We have this idea that being baptized is like some sort of varsity-level form of Christianity. It's not. It's the beginning. It's a statement of the fact that the Word of God has changed me, and I obey it. It happens at the beginning of a relationship. Now I want to talk about uh, the baptizer for a second. The person who dunks you. The baptizer. When we look at the example of the New Testament, what we see is the person who's baptizing somebody else is generally the person who is the most significant or most, most spiritual impactful person in that other person's life. In other words, they've proclaimed the gospel to them. In other words, here's the picture of, 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 of the, the sower at the beginning. The person who has received the seed in their heart becomes fertile, it grows, you grow and you multiply. That seed is implanted in somebody else's life. You are are acting in somebody else's life as a proclaimer of the gospel and you're the most significant spiritual impactor on that person and so you get to dunk them. We don't don't see this uh, a command that the, the people who baptize have to be an elder or a pastor or anything like that. It's the person who leads you to Jesus. It's the person who guides you on that way. Now, I, I want to talk about this for a moment because it's Mother's Day. I believe men, you're the spiritual leaders of your house. You are the spiritual leaders of your home. And, 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 and the truth is, is, is God should be using you to proclaim the gospel to your children. But you know what I know? That, that my wife is around my kids more than I am. And she is constantly proclaiming the gospel to them. She is constantly telling them about Jesus through her words and through her actions. Right? She is a powerful, significant influence on my kids' life. Right? I want you to also consider this. Um, who is the person as a child you most sinned against? It was mom. Your acts of rebellion and disrespect, right? As kids, the person we most sinned against besides God is mom. I think she deserves the right to hold you under the water for a second or two. Right? This, this baptizer person is the person who is the most significant influence in your life. And, and moms and dads, for your kids, that's you. That's you. So here's the deal. We have a couple of people who are going to be baptized this morning. And I'm going to actually go ahead and ask them to go get ready now. Um, but, but the call is for you. Look, here's the reality baptism is an act of obedience. And if you are a person who says, I believe in Jesus Christ and he's changed my life, but you've never been baptized, the question really is, is why haven't you obeyed Jesus in that? So here's an opportunity to be baptized. If you've never been baptized before and you claim Jesus as your Lord, then take this opportunity and do it. If the person who's the most significant impactor and you spiritually is here, then grab them and let them do it if they've been baptized. If not, they should go first.
But, but here's the deal. Uh, I'm gonna pray. Uh, the team's gonna come back and lead us in worship. If, if you are, are desiring to follow Jesus in obedience to baptism, you're gonna put your actions, you know, your, 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 what your belief into actions, right? You're not gonna be just a mere hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Then get up from where you are, go out there, talk to Jay Jackson. We have clothes for you to change into and come back in here and be baptized. It's that simple. Like, it's not rocket scientists. It's simple obedience. Simple obedience. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for receptive hearts again for all of us. I pray that that we would readily absorb your words. I pray that we would want you and want you to speak. Father, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would change, that you would grow our faith and make it bigger and actionable and it not only change our lives, but it would spill out to the lives of those around us. God, I I do, once again, I lift up the mothers in this room who may be hurting and I ask for your peace and your comfort this morning. But lastly, Father, I pray that we'd be an obedient people. Even when the cost is high, I pray that we would be an obedient people. And not not because we're trying to earn your love, because we already have it. Not because we're trying to to earn special favors or anything from you, but we we would be obedient because we love you because you first loved us. Help us to respond. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen.